This is Magic City Soccer. Es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. Let's go, Miami FC. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Vamos, Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer, bitches. This is Magic City Soccer, NESL Podcast of the Year nominee. Hey. You're home for everything you need to know about soccer in Miami-Dade County. Hello, Miami soccer fans and beyond. My name is Omar Mubayid, and I will be your host this evening. Matthew Bunch is on loan to the Killers concert here at the AAA, but we are joined by none other than Drew Hausman. Drew, you shaking off the rust okay? It feels so good to be back! God, I feel like it's, we've, it's been a long time since we've done one of these, huh? Yeah, for real. Uh, it's been a long time since... We've had any solid NASL news also, so uh, appropriate time to get this uh, off-season podcast kicking. Man, I, we haven't done an off-season podcast since, well, last off-season, and much like... Which was about the which same. Which was about yeah. the same, and like last uh, last off-season, we are sitting in the unknown waters of the uncharted territory of we don't know what's going on, and I don't think anybody else does. It's kind of crazy when you think about how this court case is still ongoing and we still don't have kind of any clarity as to where the NASL is going to go, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, originally everybody was saying it was going to be solved at the end of December, then the beginning of uh, January, and now, you know, February is coming around, and uh, still not a lot of information coming out of uh, anything. Yeah, so in that case, let's go ahead and crack open this Guinness over here. Let me me take a pint, or I should say a swig of this pint. Uh, before it leaks over the top. One second. Ah, That's some good stuff. Haven't had a Guinness since our last podcast, so it's been a little bit. So, since we've last left you, uh, and we predicted that the Cosmos would beat the San Francisco Deltas 4-0, which didn't happen in the (laughs) NASL Finals, um, we've had a myriad of, you know, just news coming out of the Miami FC camp. Um, Drew, Let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the transfers that Miami FC has made or some of the names that have left the roster. Okay, so um, I'll, I'll plug it real quick. If you go to the Miami FC subreddit, and this will probably be on our site soon, I kind of have an ongoing off-season player tracker of uh, either players released or where they're going to. Um, I guess I'll quickly start with the players that were uh, out of contract and were officially you know, not renewed or released by the team. And that one we have Johnny Barajo, Brad Russin, Aaron Dennis, uh, Calvin Rizende, Lavelle Palmer, and uh, Michelle. <clears throat> and also Alessandro Lambrugi was one of the initial seven cuts as well. Ah, you're correct, you're correct. Um, the Lamborghini has left us. He has gone back yes. to the friendly confines of Italia. Yeah, he, he actually was able to kind of get on his feet the quickest, and he signed with a Serie C team uh, for entertainment purposes. I will try to pronounce it, and it's U.S. Tristina. Yeah, I was going to go with Tristina as well. I think that's the right way to pronounce that. Not not a bad Not a bad call by you. He did come from a... Serie C team as well, though, initially when he joined the team last season, right? Yeah, correct. He's kind of just, uh, if you look at like his pr- player profile on Transfer Market, he's kind of uh, always kind of walked the ledge of uh, Serie B and Serie C, so um, 
I mean, it, it's, it sucks to see these players go, and you have to look at the situation, but at the same time, um, I'm happy to see these guys kind of get back on their feet or get, get signed with other teams, you know? You can, you can kind of moan about losing players, but at the same time, uh, where we sit, we don't really have a projected start date or anything official, so um, kind of just for these guys' career's sake, it's good to see them, uh, you know, move on and do, you know, be successful. And unfortunately for him, he seems to have moved on into a situation where he left a, a third division team in Serie C in Serie C A, and now he has joined Tristina, which is now in Serie C Bay. Uh, so unfortunately for Lambrugi, uh, we have a situation here where you know he's kind of stepped down just a little bit. Um, taking a look at the table here, I cannot even believe I can find the table for this, which is kind of crazy. Um, Tristina looks to be in a playoff uh, position. Sitting in tenth place <laughs> of nineteen teams in the Serie C Bay, so I'm not sure how it works. So any uh, very big Italian soccer supporters, if you have any idea how promotion relegation works, once we get down <laughs> the ladder in Italian soccer, please feel free to let us know. Uh, another of the big departures from Miami FC uh, is Stefano Pino, and as Drew can attest to, it almost seems like well. If you can score on Orlando City in the Cup, you're going to get a contract, huh? Yeah, I think that's been kind of the big ongoing uh, running joke between uh, Miami FC and Strikers fans alike, uh, kind of to the uh, Orlando fans that, you know, PC with the Strikers scored a game-winning goal, knocked them out of the Open Cup, got signed the next year, and, you know, Pino had that insane hat-trick against them during the Open Cup and got signed by Orlando, so... Um, hopefully he'll be able to, you know, he's a very skilled player. I think he'll be, uh, on that, on that starting roster a lot, a lot more than, uh, PC ended up, but, uh, yeah, same thing. I'm happy to see him go. It's kind of cool that he's also going to remain local. So, uh, if you kind of want to keep up with him, it'll be easy to watch, uh, Orlando games on TV. Yeah, absolutely. And if you can't, uh, if we don't have much soccer going on in Miami-Dade County, which we'll go ahead and talk about in just a second. It's just a short drive up the turnpike. Before we move on from Stefano Pino, that's a crowded forward group in Orlando. There, I mean, there are questions uh, surrounding the contract of Kyle Laren with Besiktas coming in and offering him a contract and willing to contest the option Orlando City has on his contract, but he's entering a forward set that includes Dom Dwyer, uh, and it also includes... Uh, Oh, why am I forgetting who's up top at Orlando City? Oh, man, this is not good. This is poor, poor podcast radio. Yeah, man, I I, I will just say I have no clue. You're our you're, uh, ILF correspondent, so that's that, that one's on you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am not. I am not by any means. I know they have Dom Dwyer, and I, if I'm not mistaken, I do believe they have another forward that was uh, helping out as well with the situations up front other than just Kyle Laren. I know that they made a move recently to move one of their forwards out of the way. I'm taking a look at the roster, actually, as I'm stalling here, like a professional podcaster <laughs> will do. And I'm going to go ahead and keep rambling for just a few seconds. But it seems like it's just Dom Dwyer and him, actually, now when I take a look at this roster. So, you know, he has uh, potential to be, you know, an everyday number nine for Orlando City in the MLS. And good for him because he was a player who was definitely above caliber of NASL. You saw with the statistics last season and what he was able to accomplish throughout the season. All I'm saying is when, when Orlando plays the Union in Orlando, I will be there because that's going to be my like NASL dream matchup of seeing Fafa on the 
on the Union against Pino on Orlando. And I'm just going to go on, like, an NASL-branded t-shirt and be like, I root for both of you! <laughs> well, also keep in mind, this is not Pino's first stint uh, in the MLS in 2013. He was in the MLS, never saw any game time, unfortunately, for him. Uh, but he did... Uh, you know, he, he did belong on an MLS roster at that point in time. Pino leaves Miami SC with 17 goals and four assists. Um, you know, winner of multiple awards during the NASL's offseason campaign. And and probably the most notable absence before we get to the final one is, how does Miami FC replace Quagwo Poku? Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of a crazy ordeal, but at the same time, considering that, you know, we got the play, we got him from MLS and I think maybe we touched on it uh, through the season last year, but kind of there's always been rumors of uh, I think it was Houston and a couple other teams targeting him. Um, so it's kind of it's not that big of a shock that he's gone, but yeah, he's kind of one of those irreplaceable players. Um, I would have liked him <laughs> to, to see him play somewhere where I could watch him play, but um, have fun in the Premier Liga Russia. You're gonna have a. You're gonna try to tackle this team name or no? Ooh, okay. Um, uh, Anzai Makahachikla. Close enough. I'm not even gonna bother. So Poku does get the transfer <laughs> uh, to the Russian Premiership, um, going to a team in what's known as FC Anji on Twitter. FC underscore Anji A N J I. Um, if you put them into your Twitter search bar, you will see them pop up very quickly. Um, they're probably the only one with a blue verified checkmark, so you'll know you'll be at the right page. Again, all the tweets are in Russian, so hopefully a translator uh, works much better than mine. Um, <laughs> FC Anji is a team, though, that enters... Uh, I'm sorry, Poku enters FC Anji at this point in time, uh, where they are sitting second from the bottom in the relegation. Uh, I believe there were six points stuck behind the third worst team uh which actually sits in a playoff relegation spot with the fourth worst team uh in the premiership so that being said um you know can poku's game translate to the russian league maybe does he definitely does he have enough time to uh provide an impact and maybe a boost to a team that's in need absolutely you know poku's not a player that ever put up crazy numbers on the stat line if you look at his stats over the last two years with Miami FC, you're talking about six goals in 20 games um, and seven goals last season in 29 games, and then three and two assists, respectively. So he's not a guy that puts up crazy stats, but it's the kind of guy that makes the motor run effectively. And uh, he was definitely the oil to Miami FC's engine. So I guess the question is really going to be whether or not he can be the oil to FC Angie's engine and you know save them from relegation. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like it's a pretty clever move on their behalf. I guess they're they're in some sort of seasonal break. I couldn't really understand most of the tweets, but uh, I think he met up with the team. Sorry, the team today in Turkey for some sort of uh, like friendly friendlies and stuff. But um, you know, I wish him success there. Um, you know, I'm kind of upset with their PR team because they use so many pictures of him wearing a NYCFC jersey, Brutal. but I assume that's just because it looks like the uh, city jersey. So uh, maybe trying to trick some other uh, fan bases there, but um, I, I hope they love Poku in Dagestan as much as we loved him in Miami. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. I'm taking a look at their roster <laughs> now. I mean, I'm looking at the flags, and I see Ukraine, I see Russia, I see Georgia, uh, and Georgia, of course, being the country, not the state. 
And then I see Quadwopoku, who still doesn't have a kit number. All right, man, let's play the guessing game. Bad radio time, but what number does Poku get uh, on this club? Noting that number 10, his former number with Miami FC, is already assigned to somebody else. Uh, I don't know, man. It's Dagestan, so I'm guessing he's going to be 1,010. 10, 10. 10, 10. I mean, as long as it's not a 3 plus 7, right? <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. You read my mind. Oh, boy. 3 plus 7. Interesting. Well, being the most southern team in the Russian Premier League based on geographical locations, hopefully it's warmer uh, than other places like Moscow and or Lokomotiv, etc. But we do wish Poku nothing but the best and, and probably one of the most other notable uh, departures from Miami FC is uh, goalkeeper Mario Daniel Vega. Yeah, that's right. Um, he <clears throat> he signed with uh, Club Guaranin in Paraguay, which uh, also is home to uh, former. Uh, s- ooh, I almost said San Diego, <laughs> San Jose uh, Earthquake. Uh, uh, what's his name? Andres Imperiale, who was rumored to be targeted by Miami FC at one point in time. So, uh, as the MLS uh, continues to sign Paraguayan players after uh, Smiley's success in Atlanta. Uh, more older players kind of go into Paraguay as a retirement league, but uh, I hope he does well there. That's that's another player I feel like it's going to be bizarre to try to replace or uh, picture somebody else uh, in the goalkeeper position because he literally played, I think, every single game for Miami FC minus one Open Cup game in the first year. Yep. So uh, we've seen him in net every single game except for one, so that's kind of a going to be a tough blow or a uh, hard guy to replace there. But um, I think for now, that's that's all the transfers and uh, all the, the uh, contract releases. Although I expect to see a decent amount more coming up in the future. Uh, USL's released their schedules and they kind of have their preseason camps going. So we're kind of seeing more and more players uh, get picked up by USL rosters. So, um, you know, kind of Brace for more in the upcoming weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Miami has lost three uh, three forwards uh, in the sense of Stefano Pino, Aaron Dennis, um, and there is a rumor that Vincenzo Ranella may be on his way out as well, which would only leave Jaime Chavez to, forward the, uh, to be the only forward. I was going to say forward the front line, but forward the front line is not, a, <laughs> not appropriate terminology, but he would be the lone striker up top that would remain on the roster. You look at the midfield, you still have Mike LaHood under contract, Dylan Maris, Richie Ryan, Blake Smith, um, Ariel Martinez, and Robert Baggio, who is still recovering from a knee injury, and we wish him all the best still. And defenders, uh, Red Bernstein, Gabriel Farfan, Hunter Freeman, Tyler Redfin, and Mason Trafford. There's a lot of these guys on this roster that are going to look for places, and as we segue um, into the next topic, it's really important to bring up that um, Jacksonville Armada are probably the front runners and protecting their players throughout these this time of question marks throughout the league um super important yeah and the way they treat their their players and their staff and their roster but there was an, a letter that was uh released or leaked to sock takes um a podcast that you know was also nominated as an asl podcast of the year that did not win either so <laughs> we might be better than them we don't know but this letter came from robert palmer to the players and staff of 
the Jacks of Alamada. And I want to go ahead and paraphrase very quickly, but it does say, while it will be difficult for me to watch you suit up for another club in 2018, I understand if you feel that playing below the Division Two level could be detrimental to your career. It is important for me to try and protect each of you from any adverse effects created by the instability of our league situation. You have three choices moving forward, and I will support whatever decision you make. One, you could stay with the Armada under your current contract and play in lower division with us in 2018. Two, request that we place you on loan to a Division II club for the 2018 season, essentially meaning the USL. And three, you can request to be released from the club outright. Drew, is this something you think Miami FC may have offered their guys? Obviously, we don't have anything concrete. Otherwise, we, we would have gone ahead and reported it. But uh, we have heard rumblings that certain players are trying to make their way out. Um, and, you know, they are buying no contract with Miami FC. So is this something you think that the Miami FC front office should be taking a look at and maybe moving players out to USL teams or, hell, even an MLS roster if, if, if available uh, just to get the minutes and game time while we wait for a possible August start? Yeah, I mean it's tricky because with this league, you know, you don't get too many uh, too many details on players' contracts or how long they're for or the stipulations to it. Um, but but I feel like if the opportunity arises, I feel like Miami FC would, you know, I'd hope they'd honor that that kind of same scenario. Um, as as much as I've uh, Twitter fought with uh, Palmer in the past, uh, I've I respect that. that. That was a big move on their behalf. Um, kind of what I was kind of listening to too is bullet point number one where he basically i think you said uh playing in a lower division mm-hmm. which is kind of a little bit telling uh although they do currently have an under 23 team in place which you know helps them out in the future uh i mean yeah that's a good thing because nobody you know you don't want to keep these guys under contract and have them play in a division four you know obviously they're going to crush a division four but at the same time you're going to miss out on uh, you know, you're basically going to deteriorate your skills playing against maybe, you know, college kids and stuff like that. So um, I, I don't know if they need to officially make that statement as Miami FC, but if they, you know, honor something like that, uh, it'd be great. Yeah. So moving on into the next topic here about the question marks that do surround the club in its entirety. Look, I think Joe and I are on the same page when we both tell you as you listen to the podcast, we have zero idea what's going to happen next season. We don't. So if you were coming to our show to find out what's going on next season and wanted some concrete answers, we don't have them for you. And neither does anybody else. As we mentioned as we entered the show, you know, the league status is still up in the air. This is something that we learned last season and we went through last season. Uh, However, this one seems to be much, much worse. Couple that with the fact that North Carolina FC has defected to the USL. And Indy 11 has also defected to the USL. And FC Edmonton has picked up their toys from the Sandlot and said, no, thank you. We're going to go and hang out and kind of wait to see what Canada is going to do with their Premier League or Premiership. Right now, you've got four teams in the NASL, including Miami, which, I'm sorry, would be uh, Jacksonville, New York, and Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico being a team that doesn't have a stadium that's in any... uh, position to host any games and you have a team in 1904 out in san diego and you have a sixth team uh in cal united that hasn't said a word other than an initial press release and announced their twitter account but other than that drew have you heard anything out of cal united because i sure as hell haven't 
Yeah, no, and I, I've, I've seen stuff where 1904 basically kind of alluded that they would join the USL as a possibility, but I think a lot of that, too, was under kind of the, the stress of uh, not being able to sign players, not knowing what's going on, not knowing when the season's starting. Um, kind of the one, the one positive outlook in that is that, um, you know, I don't want to jump the gun on the podcast, but the... the you NASL uh, committing to switch to the European schedule, uh, thus buying time for them to get players and stuff. But yeah, out of Cal, I haven't I haven't really seen or heard anything, and they seem to have a pretty solid ownership group. But um, I can't really blame them for not having too much information. But uh, you know, even if this goes on, what a sixteen league with two being on the West Coast and. The rest, uh, for the most part, on the east or in Puerto Rico, you know, it's kind of a crazy travel schedule and financial burden on all the parties involved. So um, there are some positives and negatives out of this scenario. Oh, yeah. Sorry if we haven't mentioned that previously. The NASL is adopting a European (laughs) schedule. Partly, I feel that's the reason for Edmonton thinking, we're not playing home games in the dead of winter. Screw you guys. It's not happening. No way. Right, uh, no yeah. way, no way in frozen hell. But I mean, let me get your thoughts first on this European schedule or the adoption of the European timeline, and then I'll go ahead and and, and kind of give you my thoughts and let, let's see if our heads equate as to where we stand with this. So, what do you think? I mean, do you think this is viable? Do you think this is something that the league needed to announce at this point in time, or you know, do you think that this is a gimmick and just a headline to keep NASL relevant just a little bit longer? I you know I th- I think it's a little bit gimmicky and it was kind of presented and uh, put off to the fans as kind of like something that was the plan all along. Uh, if you know if you just look at everything, it's kind of obvious that it's it's it was implemented to buy time, um, which is necessary. You know if they really do want to keep this league alive, this is one of the things that'll help. Um, I must I was listening to the the first team podcast uh, and Kartik was on it. Uh, Shouts out to Kartik, but he was also saying kind of one of the issues in in U.S. soccer was uh, kind of players' conditionings. That's always been an issue in U.S. soccer. So one of the things he was talking about is how they get transferred to Europe and they're used to a different schedule and they're out of shape by the time they get there, Um, which I can see too. But at the same time, I don't think too many NASL players are getting transferred to Europe. You know, there's... There's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of Premier League teams uh, reaching out for a, uh, a Rhett Bernstein. Sorry, Rhett. Um, so same thing. It has it has its pros. It has its cons. But obviously, this was a step. You know, this is kind of a life support. That it's what they needed to keep the league alive. Um, I just feel like when it first when the news first came out, it was kind of presented as like some kind of secret plan that they had all along to switch it and make it more relevant to Europe. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, you got to look at American sports and what it's going to be going up against. Uh, then a whole other side faction comes in with issues of stadium use, uh, you know, weather, temperature, uh, field conditions. You know, if people have natural grass and they're in the north, what's how's that going to affect it? You know, you could be playing on a freaking hockey rink for... <laughs> For all you know, um, where it seems like it works in Miami, I don't know about some other cities. It's, I like the idea, but implement also implementing it with a six-team league is probably not the best way to go about right, it. Right, bingo, 100%. You hit it on the head. I think the number one thing that screams gimmick in my mind is how are you going to have a sport 
go counterculture. I mean, granted, the NASL has been trying to be counterculture the entire time within its existence in 2.0 and, you know, possibly even 3.0 should NASL survive. But you're being counterculture. And you're trying to say, well, MLS is going to run in the summer, so we're going to run in the winter. And and maybe in their head they're thinking, well, if we don't compete and then we can expand and some of these LOIs do come in, and let's say NASL starts with 10 teams in August because some of the MPLC teams make the transition after the MPLCL season over, perfect, no problem. You know, I, you're not going to hear you know, any qualms from me. However, here is kind of where I get stuck with this situation. You have a team in Miami FC team that we cover that has predominantly tried to play their games on Saturdays and, you know, the off game on Sunday and the off game on the weekdays. Okay. If NASL is going to adopt this calendar, no way in hell are they going to be able to survive Saturday schedules. And the reason I say that is because how are you going to go head-to-head against college football? How are you going to go head-to-head against NFL football? How are you going to go head-to-head now as we enter October and November and basketball and the NHL is starting? You're literally going ahead and competing with the biggest four sports in the country. And you're saying that a Division II league is going to try to outdraw or try to share or try to steal some of the market uh, and some of the ratings from these other sports. And I know it's very easy to say, well, if you think about it, we won't be competing. It's two different audiences, this and that. No, no. At the end of the day, you're still pulling from the same audience. The sports fan that comes to an NASL game more than likely has other sports that they watch very very rarely will you find an nasl fan not be somebody who is uh interested in multiple sports where the nasl is their you know if and and only so i look at this and i think to myself i this is a gimmick this is like you said this is a, a necessity in order for the league to survive and, and and start because you can't start a league in March or at the end of March or beginning of April with four teams, that doesn't work. And you probably needed to give these LOI teams like Boca Raton and some of the other ones, uh, excess time in order to build up where they were and build up the roster and their support staff in order to make the jump from, you know, what essentially is division four, division five, all the way up to division two per se. Yeah. And like, I could, I could name like, a ton of instances last year because the you know uh, University of Miami the college football team was on fire. We we have several uh, you know day brigade members that are FIU fans, but I you know there were certain tailgates where we're literally watching the UM game in a trunk before going going into the game, and even even the the front uh, not not necessarily front office, but even the Miami FC staff you know kind of be, would say like oh you know we're going against college football now and it, you know that was kind of their excuse for the lower numbers and you know i would use the same excuse be like hey it's college football season you know miami's a big uh college football town also so it's it's kind of a weird scenario there and you play in a college football stadium so now how, exactly how your schedule so then the, the, the stadium sharing is going to get a lot bingo and the number one way that you can diversify and make this notable is to do something that miami fc has not tended to want to do, and the NASL not wanted to do moving forward. Make this a league where the games are played on weeknights. Absolutely, yes, it's going to hurt your attendance compared to Saturday and Sunday games. It happens in every league. You look at the NBA, you look at the NHL, you look at games in terms of Major League Baseball when games are played on the weekday compared to the weekend. And yes, you're always going to get a bigger attendance and a bigger audience on the weekend. But if you want to survive in an aspect where you're going to have almost every professional league running, 
throughout the calendar, you're going to have to find a way to play a majority of your games on weekdays and still attract that four to 5,000 number to make it viable. Because otherwise, to me, it's not viable. Because if you try to play a game Saturday night and you've got, let's say in the case of Miami FC, so you got a Miami Hurricanes home game, I'm sorry, if you get $3,000, I'm sorry, 3,000 people, that's a success. If you have, now you have to work your schedule around FIU football. Okay, so that's another option we got to deal with. If there's a heat game, people won't be showing up. The Panthers, you know, that's not really something that Miami FC is worried about too much because you're looking at a different market altogether. But at the same time, why create all of these roadblocks and obstacles for you? You're not trying to run through an obstacle course. You want to run a marathon. And you want it to be on smooth, you know, plain surface, not running, you know, essentially a uh, Spartan race here. Yeah, the other thing that's that's kind of something USL has adopted or, or, or does more often, too, is they have a lot more weeknight games. And that's kind of, uh, you know, shouts out to Fat, Fat Deuce. If you look at his attendance tracker, that's another thing you have to consider when comparing the two attendances is, okay, well, USL plays a lot more weekday games. You know, they play... Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday games where all of ours were strictly weekends. So the numbers are a little skewed in attendance, but that's something that they've kind of uh, throughout the years have kind of built up and their fan bases have gotten used to. But um, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's going to be tricky every way around. And with a with a six team league, uh, maybe it's not the, not the best uh, league to implement the European schedule. But at the same time, it's a necessity, you know, so. Uh, it is what it is, and if the if the league exists, we'll see how they they react based off that. But um, yeah, as you were saying, some of those LOI teams, this could be an opportunity for them to join to expand the amount of uh, teams in the league. So um, there is a a tiny uh, light at the end of the tunnel. All right, so we've talked about the league, we've talked about the calendar. Now let's talk a little bit about the club. Given the uncertainties with the NASL, there was a report put out. Uh, I would say what about two weeks ago, maybe not even two weeks ago, 10 days ago or so, that Miami FC was in negotiations with USL to join the United Soccer League uh, and leave the NASL behind. Uh, we reached out to comment uh, for comment to uh, Sean Flynn, Miami FC SC CEO, and his response uh, on the comments based on the tweets from Jeff Ruder was the following. Nothing to comment, focusing on NASL beginning in August 2018. Chris Kivlahan then reported that he reached out to uh, Sean Flynn as well, and he said that they were staying put, essentially, in the NASL, and they weren't going anywhere, and they were looking forward to an August 2018 start. Drew, first of all, as someone who covers the team and you know is involved with our production and our utilities, Miami FC to USL, is that something that you would have liked to have seen or not really? If you asked me that question last season, I would have said no. At this point in time, it's I would have said yes because based off the options we have on the table, I dislike the USL, but at the same time, that's going to be the more active league with uh, you know more experience behind it and kind of a better structure going forward. Um, I. But at the same time, I, I think I said it in our previous podcast, and I've kind of always had this stance when talking to either Day Brigade members or Miami FC fans, is I've always believed that the USL was like 100% off the table just because of the USL dropping like the Orlando B team, and they're dropping some other B teams, I believe, 
and to just have a pre-existing competitor for for David Beckham in the same city prior to MLS Miami happening, I don't think that's part of their part of their vision. You know, I, you know, Orlando made the promotion. Everybody else makes the promotion, and we've never seen it before where where a USL team exists in a city, but then later on an MLS team comes and take over. So I think at the end, end of the day, either way, that would have folded us. Um, probably also bought us some time, but I, I just never never see that happening, especially after the whole Silva um, kind of also gimmicky offer to buy the MLS uh, teams out for the, the media rights and all that. I, I just kind of think... In that in that circle that our our club and our league is kind of just viewed now as like enemies of the state, you know. Right. And we're also heavily still involved in in I think it's both lawsuits we're involved in. So you know I don't think they're gonna come with open arms and say you know defect to us, but keep the lawsuit alive, you know. So well, if the lawsuit wasn't in play, and Silva was not uh, essentially the de facto spearhead. For the promotion relegation campaign in the United States, uh, would Miami FC had landed in USL? I still don't think so. Just just because of the Beckham thing, like it, it's never been a scenario that happened before, and I doubt. And I'm not saying it's it's a bad thing or boo David Beckham, but at the same time, like if I were Beckham, also I I wouldn't want a pre-existing team in an MLS affiliate league in the same city as me, and then you know try to take over their fan base or, you know, the, there's going to be certain loyalists that stay and you're going to play at a different stadium and a different location. I, I think it just gets weird. It does get weird. I think it's, I think it gets weird pretty quickly. However, um, when you look at it from our standpoint here at Magic City Soccer, uh, what generates content is games. What generates content for us is the ability to be interactive not only with the players but with the staff of Miami FC as well. And as I wrote in the article that I released on January 12th, it's, you know, we have all these questions as fans and all these questions coming from fans saying, you know, what's going on with the league? What's going on with Miami FC? What about this player? What about that player? And my first thought is always, listen, yes, I understand that you're worrying about the player and I understand that you want to go to games and, and I get that. And it's, and it's important to us as well, the fact that, you know, Miami has a professional soccer team that can enhance the culture of soccer here in, in Miami-Dade County and, and throughout South Florida because realistically speaking, it was the last professional soccer team, or it is the only, I should say, I shouldn't kill the team just yet, uh, but it is the only professional soccer team in Dade, Broward, or Palm Beach counties. So when I look at what Miami FC has to offer, yes, I, if I'm being selfish, I absolutely won games right away, but I don't worry too much about that instance as I worry more about the staff and the players and the technical directors, and I'm sorry, the technical staff. And the reason for that is with this low and with this extended offseason, if the league were to start in August 2018, are they getting paid? Are their families able to, you know, enjoy uh, the same living that they were before? You know, where are they able to put food on the table? Are they able to, you know, provide for the, necessi- the necessities that they need? The roof, the clothing, the food, etc. And that's the first thing that strikes me. Um, and I'm not saying everybody should be on my boat. And I'm not saying, you know, let's go start GoFundMes uh, for the rosters and the staff. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is, while it's very easy to have the selfish mindset of, you know, what about my game? What about my enjoyment? What about my tickets? Also realize there's a lot of people behind the scenes that you don't really know 
um, that we've had the pleasure of knowing that are being affected by this as well, if not more so. So uh, I'm not trying to, you know, stand on a soapbox and preach or, or ask you to change your opinion about the situation. But, you know, one of the big things when you see any league begin to have problems, whether it's financial or whether it's political or whatever, um, is the people who work for the league and the people who work for the teams. Because, you know, these jobs, there's only so many of them. Uh, you know, and yes, they can switch sports, absolutely, and all these other things, but there's only so many of these jobs available, and, and you just really hope that the people who, you know, occupy those positions are getting paid, um, you know, despite not being able to do a whole heck of a lot at this point in time, and, you know, they're still providing uh, for their families, you know, where appropriate. So, not to get too much of a downer, but absolutely, um, you know, I think Drew is 100% correct that I don't think USL was ever an option on the table. I think uh, the promotion relegation campaign basically killed that before it started. I don't think Miami was ever going to move. You know, Drew, I think you bring up an absolutely great point that I've never seen that either. I don't think there's any recorded instance where there's been a USL team and then, you know, MLS sweeps into the market unless that USL team uh, were to, you know, be granted an expansion into MLS. Um, but being that we don't know what's going on with Miami FC and what's going on with the NASL, but, you know, the Open Cup starts here in what? Just about four months or so, right? Just the early part of May. So where does Miami FC sit with regards to the Open Cup? Yeah, that, that's the other crazy thing because, uh, you know, even even if we end up playing next year, um, I guess we could kind of do hypo- hypothetical scenarios where, Maybe we sneak in uh, a, a freaking uh, NPSL team or something like that. But unless if we get Division Two sanctioning um, through the USSF, I, I don't see a way for us to be uh, Open Cup eligible. You know, I'm not. I'm pretty familiar with the Open Cup, but I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on the rules. Uh, it's <laughs> some complicated stuff, but right. um, basically, you know, divisions, uh, the non-existent three two and one all have automatic berths so if you go down to division four even if we join npsl well the npsl teams that qualify all won their conferences the previous year so um you know even even if the team does move on but the npsl folds it doesn't look like an open cup would be in the future which is pretty unfortunate considering the run we went on you know obviously we're not going to have the same players and staff but I feel like that was kind of one of the biggest points of this year that brought attention, like through international media, through America, to our team, and even even in the city. Like you know, I had people just randomly texting me, "What's up with this team? What's up with the Atlanta game?" So, um, hopefully, you know, that's that's kind of the one bright side I see. If we can keep the NASL division sanctioning, even if it is a small, uh, s- small amount of teams in the league, that we would get the Open Cup berth. Uh, maybe you know, kind of prove some more points, crack some more heads. Yeah, that that would be great. If if you know, it'd be weird because you kind of have the situation, much like the Concacaf Champions League, where teams are playing games when it's not their season, uh, and you know they're just like kind of sitting in an off season, but they have to show up to training camp early because you know they have to get ready for this Champions League game. I think Miami FC would uh, treat um, the Open Cup very much with that respect. Um, but if Miami FC is not able to play in the U.S. Open Cup for the reasons Drew just mentioned, remember Miami FC does have two teams in the U.S. Open Cup uh, at a minimal. There is three. 
Uh, we're going to talk about that third team in just a second because there are some intricacies that go with that. But if you remember FC Kendall back in November, they had to travel to Nashville. Yes, Nashville, Tennessee. They were able to beat Nashville United. So FC Kendall has a bid in the U.S. Open Cup, and they will be playing in the first round. Red Force was able to beat South Florida FC in a South Florida showdown uh, in order to qualify again for their second straight Open Cup. Um, so, more than likely in the first round, you may very well see an FC Kendall-South Florida FC match. And, you know, if the coin falls the right way, there's a very good possibility that one of these teams could be possibly hosting a USL side because there will be no Division Three by that time, at least we don't think, uh, and moving forward and, and hopefully playing a USL team uh, in the confines of Miami. But Drew, the third team, Miami Fusion, winners of the NPSL playoffs, or the Sunshine Conference, I should say, and they've earned the right uh, through winning the division uh, spot in the Open Cup. Not... A secure future there, right? Yeah, I, they're kind of a question mark on everything. I've been asking around about them, and, you know, NPSL is a little bit kind of trickier trickier thing to follow. There's not that much stuff online, but um, I, I don't want to call it early, but from what I've seen online and just heard around, it looks like that team is folded or just taking some bizarre hiatus. Uh, kind of w- one of the big things that the MPSL teams do are open tryouts you know it's it's a big money grab but at the same time if you want to step up your game and play get into professional soccer in America if you're at that age it's it's a good thing to go to but um you know all these MPSL teams do open tryouts you know they charge a hundred ahead a thousand people show up boom that's their money for the year but you know kind of Historically, the Fusion have been terrible at social media, not really posting anything ever, and they've just been silent this whole offseason where everybody else in the Sunshine Conference has been kind of active and talking about tryouts and stuff. So um, I guess in the future I'm going to try to figure out more information on this. But as of now, from what it looks like, the Fusion don't exist. So Um, if Miami Fusion don't exist and they came in first in the Sunshine Conference... Would Miami United, who came in second, just basically walk into their bid and get a spot in the U.S. Open Cup? <laughs> I'm not sure, but I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's why we said there possibly could be a third team uh, joining from South Florida again, should Miami FC not be able to make the fold. But at a minimum, you know, we're looking at three, even if it's the Miami Fusion, um, but, you know, possibly a fourth should the NASL get their stuff together and move on. Uh, you know, and, and be sanctioned, I guess is the key word, be sanctioned by the U.S. Soccer Federation, um, and then go on from that point. How much of that do you think has to tie in with the election and possibly needing a candidate who would be, for, now I don't want to say promotion relegation friendly, but more friendly to the structures and the ideas that the NASL owners want in play than the status quo at this point? Uh, sorry, what do you mean by that? I'm <laughs> so you tuned out. You tuned out. Rage out. No. Uh, so what I'm saying is, how much does the NESL need a candidate for the U.S. Soccer Federation to be very aligned or open to the ideas the NESL wants to bring forward within the pyramid in and of itself? Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I thought you were talking about NPSL for a second. And I was no, like, sorry. Oh, man. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I mean, it's pretty big because basically, like, 
I, I guess they can like retroactively cancel out things that have happened before or kind of support it in another way. So, um, you know, I, I think USL just got their Division Two sanctioning, but at the same time, they have to re they have a, like a two year plan, but they have to reapply every year to kind of check in with their their uh, their positioning and whether you know they meet the requirements or not, but. You know, if a new president that's a little more favored towards NASL comes in, I think retroactively they can change some of the rules. So, you know, even even if even if uh, uh, the court case doesn't go completely in our favor, I think if the presidency or the election is another thing that we can kind of keep our eyes on, and I think uh, I believe both NASL and NPSL uh, kind of back the same candidate for it. So. Um, hopefully that that can do something in our favor. Absolutely. And as we move on from this segment, um, we know that we may have essentially created more questions than answers. Uh, but just for <laughs> you guys to know, we're kind of in the same boat as you. Yeah, we have some information additional that we cannot release at this time. That's absolutely true. And, you know, I would not uh, breach anybody's trust with regards to that. However, you know, there is – it doesn't look great. The future doesn't look great. However, you know, these things can change on a dime. Um, you know, Rocco Camisso and, and the attorney groups for the NSL are still waiting on word back from the appellate court. And, you know, it's taking a long time, which, which really makes me think that the U.S. justice system doesn't want any blood on their hands about this. They just kind of wanted to see what happens. If they stall long enough, maybe something sorts itself out and they don't have to be the determining factor because I'm pretty sure they don't want to get their hands tied into this mess um, because, you know, this probably won't be the last kind of lawsuit that comes into play uh, should the NASL not give, get a favorable ruling. But as we move on, another kind of cup, a cup that we can test here in the beautiful state of Florida, that would be the Florida Cup, right, Drew? That's right. Florida Cup, baby. A little different than last year, but I'll still take it. <laughs> well, the Florida Cup always has one match in South Florida, which we thoroughly enjoyed, Drew and I. We were able to go watch Legia Warsaw take on Barcelona SC. No, not Barcelona from Spain. Barcelona from Ecuador. I know, right? big thriller uh but no usually have a good amount of matches contested throughout the state most of them taking place in southern florida between orlando and uh st petersburg and the tampa area but drew legia warsaw barcelona sc it was a match that you know had a lot of goals early you know i know you were watching this one from the stands what were your thoughts about these two teams you know uh, going at it yeah, it was an interesting matchup. Uh, I think uh, Warsaw uh, in 2000, what was it, 16, had a uh, Champions League run or was in the qualifying stages. So mm-hmm. right off so. the bat, I thought they were going to be, I thought they were going to be the more dominant team. Um, you know, you can kind of tell it was a little Florida friendly and all that, but there there was a lot of scoring in the beginning. Um, it was fun to go to, though, because uh, I was surprised that uh, all the Polish fans that showed up in the first half, uh, me and uh, Magic City soccer correspondent Lee Iffens sat... Iffens? I can't pronounce his name. I'm a terrible <laughs> human being. Uh, but we sat on the Polish side, and then on the second half, we moved over to the Ecuadorian side. Um, but all in all, it was a good game. You know, I, I really like this cup. Uh, in the previous years, they had more, like, lower division teams involved in it, and there was a friendlier side, so... Um, I hope they can kind of build up into the future, but 
you know, it, it's it's always good when you can see kind of these like not you know you're not you're not going to Sun Life Stadium to see Barcelona play Juventus. You know, you're seeing kind of a scrappy uh, Eastern European and a scrappy uh, South American team play each other. So it's it's a good opportunity to see kind of some of these more obscure but also successful uh, international teams play uh, locally, which is a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal because you get an influx of international soccer. And we're talking about teams that, I mean, look, let's be fair. These teams are not pushovers. These teams are definitely, you know, powerhouses within their respective divisions. And they're, they're, they are all, sorry, I can't talk either. They are all top flight teams within their country. Um, you know, you had three con- three teams from Brazil coming in, Atletico Mineiro, Corinthians, and Fluminense. Uh, Corinthians and Fluminense being teams that usually try to attend this match. Atletico Nacional from Medellin in Colombia took place. Barcelona, we already spoke about from Ecuador. You had P- PSV Eindhoven from the Netherlands, uh, Legia Warsaw from Poland, and you had Rangers from Scotland. If it was Celtic, I would have gone to every Celtic game, but because it was the Rangers, uh, not so much. Um, each team Ooh. plays two matches throughout the Florida Cup, and essentially whoever wins in points and whoever wins in goal differential become the winners of the quote-unquote Florida Cup. Uh, in this case, this season, Atletico Nacional uh, were the winners of the Florida Cup, and they received the trophy, uh, probably in the shape of Volcano Bay and a water slide on it, because it is presented by Universal <laughs> Orlando. Uh, but no, <laughs> Atletico Nacional was able to win uh, the Florida Cup on the back of four goals, Four, zero goals against. That's a plus four goal differential for those of you who are good at the maths. Uh, and six points. Uh, they were tied at the top of the table and just edging out Barcelona and the Rangers that both had a positive three goal differential. Um, so, Drew, in your professional reporting sense, which side was more livelier at this game in Fort Lauderdale? Was it uh, the Ecuadorian fans or was it the Polish fans? Uh, the... <laughs> The thing is that the Ecuadorians actually, uh, last year, the Florida Cup was also played at Central Broward Stadium, and uh, uh, Barcelona SC from Ecuador played, I think it was Vasco da Gama from Brazil, um, and it seemed more, a little, little more family-ish from the Ecuadorian side last year, but this year, you know, they were, they were pretty hype. I, I was very surprised at the attendance of both people, and it was kind of a very, like, niche thing, or... Uh, I, like when I was in the Polish side, there were people that were driving down from I think like Atlanta and different parts of Georgia just to see this game. So it kind of goes to show you like how lucky we are to have some of this stuff in the backyard. But um, uh, <laughs> uh, fan per perspective or fan point because I just kind of hung out in the stands and observed everybody. Uh, at times I was scared of the Polish people, and uh, <laughs> I'm a blonde haired white guy, so. Uh, they were pretty intense. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. Uh, it was a game that had a lot of goals, I believe. He went into half 3-1, and it was sloppy defending early on, it seemed, from both sides as the goals were, you know, nothing more than your Sunday League caliber goals. There wasn't anything too crazy. A couple really nice headers that were well-placed, but um, Barcelona did edge out Legia Warsaw at the end 3-2. to um, Legia Warsaw did part, make... Part of the problem with that is they... they- Oh, I was gonna say part of the problem with that in the in the actual tournament they give them like six hundred subs. Yes, I so I think uh, yeah, Warsaw's beginning defender like came out with a cast. Right. Well, you, <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the situation you have: a lot of these teams are sitting within uh, 
they're either prepping up for their season in Central and South America, or they are also, uh, you know, in their off-season break for their holiday break, quote unquote, in Europe, in the European, uh, you know, within the European nations such as Warsaw Rangers, uh, you know, and of course PSV Eindhoven, the Dutch, the Scottish, and the Polish all have a uh, off-season break of about three to four weeks um, within the holiday period. You know, middle of December running till about the end of January, if I'm not mistaken. So for those of you that follow Bundesliga, you saw that it just returned to TV. For those of you that follow, uh, you know, uh, the Eredivisie, I should say, uh, the Dutch League, you'll see it will be returning to TV shortly. Uh, You know, the British League or the English Premier League does not follow that system. So we play games around the clock and we get to enjoy on NBC Sports Network. Hey, you look at that shameless plug, NBC Sports Network, whenever you want to sponsor Magic City Soccer. Let us know. <laughs> What's up, Rebecca Lowe? Oh, we can get her to do an opening. That would be pretty cool. All right, man. So we've talked about MPSL. We've talked about NASL. We've talked about Miami FC and all of the guys and jerseys that we will need to bury and retire. Or maybe even fly at a game, hopefully in August. That'd be a cool sight if you could just fly previous players' jerseys at a game off a flagpole. I think that'd be kind of weird but kind of cool <laughs> uh, in a testament to saying thank you, at least for the opener. Um but it looks like the big fish in the pond is coming out of the sandcastle to play. Could it be? Is this really happening? Is the Miami MLS announcement eminent as everybody thinks or says that it is? Guys, keep in mind of something very important here, right? We are skeptical, and we have every right to be skeptical because the first announcement for MLS Miami and David's Beckham project um, was announced in 2014, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and you had a bunch of photos and people taking pictures with Don Garber and the scarves and holding the soccer balls and things of that nature. But man, it's been almost four very, very long years that we've been sitting here and being told about Miami MLS. And, and now it seems like you've added the Moss Brothers after not winning the Marlins contract. And, and all of a sudden, it's like, the, the train's leaving the station. Like, all of a sudden, the conductor got there. You know, the pilot showed up three years late, but the pilot is here. And the pilot seems to be uh, the Moss Brothers. And, I mean, wh- what do we make of this? What do we make of this, Drew? Is, is this happening? Are we still waiting for the, you know, the ticket pamphlet to come in the mail? Or are we still waiting for something more than seeing a jersey and a scarf? Like, wh- where do we stand? Pet- Pepperidge Farms remembers. <laughs> <laughs> No, like I, I, you know, I don't, I don't think we're gonna get that much stuff out of this announcement. Um, I'm, you know, I've kind of been a hater going along this timeline, but that's been more frustration out of, uh, you know, how going to the announcement and then kind of being left in the dark for three years. But, um, you know, kind of the on-running joke throughout U.S. soccer is Miami FC or. <laughs> Beckham Miami is making announcement about announcement about announcement to be announced to be announced in a week. But um it it seems like it's actually going to happen, you know? Like we've we've sorted out some investors. The Moss brothers seem like they're very involved um from what we're hearing that it's the announcement could happen any day from literally when you hear this to February, you know, mid-February. So um I think they'll probably come out with information, talk about the Overtown site, um, 
you know, I just, I just think really what this team needs, though, or what the PR group behind the team needs to do is just finally give us something more to hang on than just the just the uh, expansion or franchise announcement. You know, finally release that team name, kit colors. Uh, you know, give us give us something that we didn't hear three or four years ago, and then that's gonna bring the people back into it. And that's what they need. Um, I'm excited for it, but at the same time, just based off how it's been going, I'm I'm skeptical. You know, I don't, I don't want to see another thing with Garber and him, and basically just saying, "Hey, MLS Miami, granted, thumbs up," and then you know maybe a year or two of silence, and then the announcements start coming in. They really need to kind of put some bait on the fishing hook and cast it out. So you absolutely took the question out of my mouth. If this announcement is nothing other than Don Carver coming to the microphone and saying, I declare MLS Miami to be the X team into the MLS and saying it's official, it's signed, it's good stone. You know, they show, uh, you know, proclamation and signed paperwork or whatever. Is that enough? I, I think that's enough for the majority of people, but for, uh, I guess, what I'll call the, the soccer crackheads or, you know, kind of <laughs> the fiends that we see at every event or, you know, that go to the bars early in the morning, you know, I like, I, I would be happy with that, but at the same time, that's kind of what we thought the initial announcement was, but it ended up not being, so um, I would like to see a little more out of it, but... Um, I'll be I'll be happy with whatever they give, you know, as as long as there's something official and on paper, because it's not to lie, it, it's been a while, and we've kind of been all hanging on these strings, and I think I, like every MLS All Star game, there's been a rumor of the announcement happening during halftime, and Garber's gonna say it's granted, and you know, at this point in time, several other cities have caught up and surpassed us, so. Um, I mean, they can make it official, and, and that that's a good start, but if they really want to kind of give the city an impact and get interest started, uh, they need to give us a little bit more. But at the same time, I don't know what they're going to do because there's also maybe like a two- or three-year loan until they start playing. But um, to generate fan interest, I, I, I personally would like more than just an awarded franchise. Man, you are Johnny on the spot today, man. You're just literally taking Thank the you. next lines out of my mouth. It's Boom. Incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, you know, all my soccer talk's been contained inside. It's, it's a, uh, it's cocky cane fan frustration. Just, you know, boiling over in this case, it's cocky soccer fan frustration, just boiling over from not being able to talk about the sport since about November, at least in the local aspect. But, um, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I think, this team has been, you know, announced to not be scheduled to play a game until possibly the 2020 season. We're just going to start the 2018 campaign here in two months. We're talking about another season or two more full seasons of no professional soccer in Miami, possibly. And you're going to want people to wait and, and just kind of sit there and wait. Um, I don't know if that's something that's viable. I think a 2019 start would be awesome and fantastic because, I mean... Look at LAFC. LAFC, if I'm not mistaken, had just about 12 months or so to get a roster off the ground and started, and and they've done a hell of a job of filling out their roster. So, you know, if the right people are put into place in management, I think MLS Miami or the Miami Project uh, definitely could start in 2019 and fill out a roster uh, capable of winning. Uh, But I think here's the issue. You have a situation where Atlanta United is now the poster child 
of expansion success. If you're looking at hockey, you know, you see the uh, Las Vegas Golden Knights becoming the poster child of expansion success amongst all sports and seeing what first-year teams can do uh, with regards to uh, expansion drafts and player acquisitions and things of that nature. So Miami MLS, you know, the, listen, with Beckham on the project, you've heard notable names throughout Europe. Yes, aging superstars saying, you know, I would probably come and suit up and play for that side. Guys like Zlatan, guys like Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, mentioning that, yes, they would want to play uh, for, you know, a Beckham-owned team or, or a team where they could align their viewpoints with Beckham once again. Um, as they those two superstars have in the past throughout Europe, but you know, you know, yeah, absolutely. I think this announcement needs to be something formidable. It doesn't need to be a jersey, if, especially if we're going to be more than two years out from starting. Um, I think it needs to be a team name, uh, and and I want to get your speculation in a second on what uh, name you think would be best for this team because I I hold one in high regard. Um, but I, I think it's got to be jersey. I'm sorry. I think it's got to be team name. I think it's got to be color. I think it's got to be some kind of clarity on the lawsuit with the the stadium situation and, and Matheson's lawsuit as with regards to whether or not they can actually put it in the Overtown area. Um, I think it, it definitely needs to include an increased timeline and try to get this team up and running come March 2019 because if you have a date that you can see the light at the end of the tunnel for, it's awesome. And, and granted, any date at this point would be the light at the end of the tunnel, given that we've gone through this now for, you know, roughly four years. Even 2020, you, you still see kind of a little bit of glimmer from the end of the tunnel. But 2019 would make a world of difference. And, and whether it's possible, I, I don't know. Uh, where would they play their games? I, I don't know. Would it be Marlins Park in the outfield? And you have, you know, an NYCFC situation. Would you play the games, you know, at... Uh, at a venue like Tropical Park, probably not. Uh, would you play? You know, <laughs> would you play the games at FIU Stadium? Well, maybe depending on what happens with you know Ricardo Silva and Miami FC. But maybe. you're probably not playing the games at Sun Life Stadium. You could. It's not a terrible idea, but you know, would the Dolphins want to uh, you know have to deal with pitch renovations and things of that nature? We don't know. Um, but that being said, Drew, if you had a team name of choice, if you can name this team whatever you wanted, what would you name it? Man, I've I've heard so much stuff pitched in like the last three years. Um, honestly, I you know I don't want another. No offense to Miami FC, but I don't want another FCSC United. Uh, uh, you don't want the Real United. FC. Real, exactly. The Real, Real Salt FC Lake. Inter- yeah, Salt Lake City. Come on, guys. <laughs> um, honestly, like I I kind of like some of the hackier names and I kind of just want them to embrace the hackiness of it all. Just uh, like Miami vice was always thrown out there. And I love that name. Like it's, it's kind of stupid, but at the same time, like, uh, like look at what we said with Miami FC's mascot, like Galazzo, when it came out, everybody's like, Oh, it's a stupid bird. It's a stupid bird. Ah, we fucking love that bird now. Just like embrace the stupidness, you know? And like other other things, uh, what what like I like I don't think it's been thrown out there, but I even said too, just name something stupid like Miami Surf, something like that. Just you know, you know Miami Heat's the basketball team. That's a fucking stupid name. I'm sorry, I'm cursing a lot now, but <laughs> <We've got laughs> Miami Heat's like a pretty, it's a pretty dumb name. But a year or two down, or even in the first year, you get used to it. You know, it's it's. And kind of that's everything that people kind of talk trash about in soccer is just going for the basic name. So, 
you know, go out there, choose something unique, you know, don't, I heard somebody was saying, like, Miami Devils or something, and I was like, that doesn't make, I get it, Red Devils, but, you know, you don't need to kind of put that European recycled connection, if you're, if you're gonna go for it, just go all out, make it American, make it unique to the city, that's why I like Miami Vice. Yeah, absolutely. It's stupid, and it may it may come into legal issues where he'll have to pay a ton of money to an '80s television show. But Don could be Johnson getting a paycheck again, not just a syndication <laughs> yeah. paycheck, but he's getting a fat one from David Beckham and company. <laughs> no, you know what, man? Uh, Jesus, you are good, man. I don't know if we're, if we're linked at the brain or what we got going on today, but I think my front my front runner for team names here is definitely Vice City. Uh, I, I gotta hate saying the letters FC because I think it's so monotonous because you don't you know, nobody calls teams in Europe everything FC. It's just, you know, for example it's just Bayern Munich, it's just Manchester City it's just Manchester United, it's just Chelsea, it's just Arsenal. Nobody really goes Arsenal FC or Chelsea FC or Manchester United FC, but you know, Vice City FC uh, would be pretty cool and, and not just to use the terminology of city but, um, you know, you, you have a lot of South Florida factors when you use the term Vice City. Um, you know, we see now just a tremendous outroar in, in not to get segue into basketball by any means, but, you know, the Miami Vice jerseys that the Miami Heat are coming out with. and, and Oh, the, hell yeah, those approval, are so nice. Right, the approval rating that's coming out. And, you know, granted, we are entering just about to be 40 years from the 1980s decade here in 2020. We'll be 40 years removed from the year 1980, but the 80s culture and the 80s style and the 80s architecture is still something very prominent to this region. It is the decade that essentially built this city and made it and brought it to the American forefront, obviously for uh, you know numerous different reasons, some not great, others great. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think Vice City FC is definitely the way to go. Um, I'd be very – I would not hate – you can't call it Miami United because you do have a you know an MPSL team here by the name. I You know, I understand if they go with the Miami United name. I just don't think the MLS can have another United in there. Um, I, I would absolutely despise uh, Real Miami. Um, I, I would absolutely hate Miami AFC. Um, and I would not oh, – I would no. not be a fan – of of just anything along those names, Real or or anything else. Any anything with just a preface or like something after Miami would be terrible, you know. I mean, unless like, it's like a, like a team name, like a mascot name in a sense, you know, like a, yeah, yeah, but just like any of those, yeah, any of those Reals, any of that, just no, that needs to stop. And like, I get it for like Division Four clubs, but. You know, yeah, this, this guy's this guy's got money. <laughs> like, exactly. Come up with something. But I mean, for example, like I want, I won't even say too. Like, if if you do the vice thing, then you can do the whole like hacky '80s thing, and it won't be hacky. You know, our, our city can embrace that. Like, right. But here's the uh, thing. Like, look at look what Orlando did with purple. Like, who the fuck wears purple fucking soccer jerseys? So I'm cursing again, but nobody. But that's become like a huge thing out there. Like. And they have the little punk song, Gogo go Bordello, start wearing, wearing purple. Like, it's its own, like, sensation. And they've created this whole brand and verbiage behind the purple kits where probably at some point in time some marketing guy was like, oh, this is a dumb idea. Just go with black and white. And you know who, you know, you know who did it right? When I look at some of the leagues around the world, I look at, I, I always, I'm drawn to the Australian League because when you look at the team names for the Australian League, 
they, they did it right. They did it the right way. They did it the way that I would like to see my teams or the teams I support do it. Sydney FC, Newcastle Jets, Melbourne Victory. You know, you have the Western City Wanderers, Western Sydney Wanderers. Sorry, I don't use the Wanderers term. That's kind of weird. You have the Central Coast Mariners, the Brisbane Roar, Perth Glory, Wellington Phoenix. You know, it, I understand it's not a big league, and we're talking about Australia where, you know, pretty much the entire continent is, is not inhabitable except for the city, you know, the areas near <laughs> near the ocean. I understand this, right? But you've got a chance to do something different. Please, for the love of God, do not call it Miami City. Do not call it, you know, Miami United. Do not call it Real Miami. Do not call it Deportivo Miami. You know, don't, do, don't call it something of that nature. If you're going to call it something, you know, please put some kind of city-centric name uh, behind the word Miami. Listen, if you want to go with a number, listen, by all means, you want to put the year that the city of Miami was founded, more power to you. I will not complain because you're breaking the mold. You know, if you want to call it, you know, 305 United, even in that case, even though it'll never happen, you know, it's something (laughs) that I could get more behind than just, you know, your standard Miami United uh, it just it, it just doesn't sound the same. And, and for the love of God, if you picking colors, please, teal, pink, and white. I know that certain people are listening to this and throwing up at the moment because they're like, Omar, what are you doing? Teal, pink, and white. Why? Why does it have to be so tacky? But it's those are the colors of Miami, man. The blue, the oranges, you know, not so much. It's the aquas. It's the teals. It's the pink. It's the white. You know, if you want to go with the green and the orange for the city of Miami flag, that's fine, too. But... Make it a product that people of the city are going to love, even if the team's not doing well. Even after, you know, we leave behind the era of the possible Ronaldos or the possible Slotins or, or anybody who you think would want to come into this roster that are European superstars that have already been rumored to be linked. When those guys are gone, because at some point they're going to be gone. They're not going to stay here and play till they're 50. It's not going to happen. You know what I'm saying? So we're going to enjoy the first three to five years of this team having those players on this roster and, and hopefully winning MLS Cup after MLS Cup and competing for CONCACAF Champions League. But please let it be something that resonates with the city because at some point the superstars fade and then all you're going to have left is your standard MLS roster of guys that are good guys that are notable hopefully a few you you know United States men national team guys and you know national team players from around CONCACAF but you're not going to be grabbing the guys that you know are going to be the superstars of the world at that time it's MLS at the end of the day you know, we're not talking about a European Premier League. We're not talking about the French League. We're not talking about the Spanish League or anything of that nature, you know. Um, so please let it be something that resonates with the city, both with team name and color name. Um, and I think it would go a long way to making sure that the team is viable moving forward. And somewhere there, go ahead. somewhere there's a Beckham consultant just writing all this information down, making a paycheck off what we're saying. I mean, listen, if he is, if he or she is, more power to them. Um, but that's my passionate plea, not as someone who will be, you know, hopefully covering games from the press box, but as somebody who has an interest in the success of that team. I think when you start talking to a lot of beat reporters and beat writers um, and, and people who cover teams from the area that they were born and raised in. And it's something that sometimes is rare because, you know, you have a lot of people leaving and taking jobs in different parts of the country, especially get their start. But anytime you have someone who's born and raised in a certain geographical location and they they happen to cover a team from that certain geographical location, you could remove being a fan from the professional standpoint. Absolutely. 
But at the end of the day, you still want that team to do good. It's funner to cover a team that's in the thick of things and winning and in cup competitions and making runs than it is covering a team that ends up bottom of the barrel. At the end of the day, it's your job. At the end of the day, you are pumping out the content anyway. But there's a difference in the kind of content you put out. And I think nothing is more noticeable than that when we look at our podcast early on from the fall season of 2016 covering Miami FC and the, you know, the podcast and the articles and everything we, you know, we launched with, um, the website, uh, the content, the interviews and everything. There was, it was just a different level of it. And it's because the players are enjoying themselves. The staff is enjoying themselves. The journalists, the reporters, the content, the beat writers, everybody's having a better time because the success of the team is there. And it's not about, you know, professional or unprofessionalism. It's just the level of there's a more relaxed atmosphere when you are in a workplace setting, when that workplace is going well, than when, you know, there is fire at every turn. That's true. Um, not to derail this, but I, <laughs> this is something that's kind of been bugging me, and I, want to, I sort of want your opinion on it. Um, also, if you're listening, uh, you can tweet us at Magic City Soccer. Um, kind of let us let us know your opinion on this. But how how big of an impact do you think they're going to have to make on that initial roster signing for that team to be successful? Because if if you kind of just peruse browse Twitter right now, everybody's kind of saying like, "Oh, Ronaldo! Oh, this guy!" And like, let's let's say those aren't unrealistic goals. Let's say those are unrealistic goals by the time this team starts. Like, who? What? What kind of players do you sign? What? What happens when there's a, a what's his name, Chad Marshall, or like a Brad Evans on the team? You know, and you don't have a kind of an HD Maria. That's kind of one of the things that's always been in the back of my mind. Where I feel like the expectations of player signings on the. Uh, Miami team have been so high for the Beckham group just because of Beckham's status and how he came to the league. So, you know, how do you think everybody's going to react? You know, maybe you have one big signing, but as you were kind of alluding to, that person then leaves. It, it just seems like a weird scenario to me. I, f- I feel like it's kind of, <laughs> not to be a dick, but it's a very Miami thing where it's like, we want the best. And then, like, you end up with. Still players that are great, but you're just like, oh, who the fuck are these guys, you know? <laughs> and th- th- that's the other thing, us being in, like, an international market where everybody's going to kind of want right. X guy from X home country, mm-hmm. and if we don't get him or an aging superstar from La Liga, then, mm-hmm. you know, if we feel that team full of, you know, you're, let's just say you took the Portland Timbers right now and moved them to Miami, do you think they'd be successful? I think the not, port- not as a team, but attendance-wise. Uh, I think they would. I think they would initially because you would have that initial interest. Now, if the Portland Timbers were to constantly be challenging for MLS Cups, then yes, I think the attendance continues to be high. However, for example, if you take or- if you look at Orlando City, I think that's the best example is because they were about to sign Kaká. But you're looking at Orlando City, who has never made the playoffs throughout their three years of existence. <laughs> And you have a situation. Clapping him, clapping well, this, that's not a knock against Orlando City. It's just a, it's a fact. They haven't made the playoffs in three years of existence, but they have signed players that have you know weight behind their names. The Gagas, the uh, you know Nocherinos. They brought in Jonathan Spector, who was an excellent player for them this season. But these are, these are guys who are so notable that 
you know, they can they can sustain the attendance even without the team's success. But the biggest question is going to be is moving on into year four and year five for Orlando City is now that Kaká is gone and now that you've got guys whose names aren't, you know, as high caliber or carry weight, what's, what is it going to be? What's going to be the interest beside the hardcore supporter? What's going to be the interest beside the people who were, have been sitting on the season ticket waiting list for a quite long time? You know, those are the guy, people that they're going to want their tickets no matter what because they've been waiting for so many years that once they get in, they're going to stay in for a couple seasons at a minimum because they've been waiting for so long. But then what happens after that dies off? I think Miami FC, uh, Miami FC I think the MLS Miami project is going to have similar problems should the team not succeed. Uh, and listen, signing Ronaldo is a lofty goal. People saying Slotin <laughs> at, at potentially age, what, 37, 38 coming to MLS? You know, granted, listen, 35 years old doing it in the Premier League, that's fantastic, but at some point, father time does catch up with you, right? Uh, the only thing that can offset not signing a major player would be signing a major manager. And I'm talking about major manager. It would have to be somebody who is leaving Europe at the peak of their career and wanting to come to MLS and, you know, tackle a new challenge uh, in a place where maybe they've never been to before or a place where, you know, they're trying to bring credibility to. It can't be somebody on the rebound. It would have to be somebody with a bigger name than, for example, Rafa Benitez. You know, you're talking about you need a major manager, a Jurgen Klopp, a Zinedine Zidane, uh, Jurgi Lowe. Uh, but also, also, I don't, I don't think that's ever been done before, not to that extent. No, exactly. But that's what I'm saying. If you're not going to sign, I, I would say like you've had six the closest years. thing is like maybe like and you know he wasn't really a manager before besides like uh, talking about Nesta? reserve teams, but like Patrick Vieira. Oh, Patrick Vieira, right? He would be a big one. But I think it has to be even bigger than Patrick Vieira. But he's not. I, yeah, he's I, not a notable European name. He's, Bingo. He's no Pep Guardiola. Or, Bingo. It, this, that's the thing. Yeah. It, it's. In order to Arsene Wenger, Miami FC, <laughs> right? Because, oh God, help us, Wenger in. Oh Jesus Christ! If the <laughs> if because the rumors have been so heavy, and because people have been year after year talking about it, it's only a matter of time before James comes to Miami or Ronaldo comes to Miami or hell, you never know, maybe Neymar and Messi want to come to Miami um, or Pogba or whatever, whoever the player is, because it's been the international superstar caliber, the guy who is paid, you know, head above heels and takes his team deep in tournaments and things of that nature because it's always been that player, X, Y, and Z. If Miami MLS fails to sign one of those players, it's going to be a problem. And and not in year one or year two, but if in year three, four, and five, if this team is not competing for MLS Cups, it will be a problem. And it's not their fault, but it's just the fault of the market expecting these lofty goals and unrealistic signings and and again this is one of those situations much like Aka what happens if you do sign Ronaldo and he comes to MLS in Miami and he's not the Ronaldo that people know and love well what do you do because if he ends up looking like Andrea Pirlo you know what do you do that's the problem because you have such lofty standards and lofty goals for the signings of this club and and you know that's why I said you know before we 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 jumped in on this full head it was more about or I should say head first um 
Atlanta United has done it the right way. They've signed a lot of young guys from South American teams and South American oh, clubs sure. that fit together. I would rather see a Portland Timbers with not a super heavy, well-set roster or, or guys that jump off the list when you see their names. Like, oh, my God, I really want to see this guy and have them here in Miami. Then have essentially NYCFC with Andrea Pirlo in Miami. And, and granted, to NYCFC, listen, they hit a home run with David Villa. They hit a home run with David Villa. But the Frank Lampard and the Andrea Pirlo signings were, you know, pop-ups to the pitcher. Let's be fair, you know. So, yeah. And what were you saying? Like, Atlanta's doing it right, too. Like, they're not, you know, they're not really going after the age player, but instead they're getting the, the kind of the young South American studs and that's kind of the sustainable MLS method also right. where it's like, okay, we have this guy, but you know, at, at some point in time they could ditch him or sell the contract if, if necessary. But with that money they can reinvest and, you know, kind of the, it's, it's been going on since the Beckham era where the MLS just is kind of known as the kind of European retirement league where uh, Atlanta's doing the, the, the opposite of they're just, they have all these great young players and, that's something that also, you know, MLS Miami is going to have to look at and kind of try to hopefully try to emulate uh, for their success in the future. Right. And this is the thing. I, you're not going to compete against the FC Dallas's and the Houston Dynamos and the Seattle Sounders in year one and year two and year three because these are academies that are fully developed and ready to go and they're pumping out players left and right. So that's not going to happen. That's not something you can just flip a switch and turn on. However, you're also not going to be Toronto because realistically speaking if you tell me mls miami let's say you know we go back in time and mls miami existed and the first signing for mls miami was sebastian giovinco giovinco fantastic player mls mvp season after season until proven otherwise but would giovinco have you know been enough to crave the appetite of the mls miami fan that's been promised ronaldo and Zlatan year after year I, i don't think so not initially, at least. Yeah, that, that's that's a great point because yeah, he's he's technically totally like the, one of the highest caliber players in the league, but he's just not a very well known player outside of that, and that's kind of one of those weird things that catches me off. Where I'm gonna, where when this kind of starts developing, it's like, all right, well, which route are they gonna go? You know, there's kind of two roads to go to for for player acquisitions, and uh, yeah, I mean. I don't even want to talk about Toronto, but they're doing everything right. <laughs> yeah, and I mean in in USL and MLS and and moving and as we wrap up the show, um, I, I'll let you get the final word on this. It, it's going to be as you had hinted to earlier. Um, the biggest hiccup and the biggest question mark is going to be you're going to have a lot of fans in South Florida talking about their respective ethnicities and their respective cultures and wanting them to be identified and connected to with this team. Um, and you have people from, you know, that's the beauty of South Florida and Miami is that you have people from every country in all walks of life. You know, you have every country in the Caribbean, every country in South America, every country in Europe more than likely, um, you know, and, and the Middle East and Asia. You have everybody from almost every country on the planet, I would guess, at least one person um, within Miami, Fort Lauderdale that, you know, comes from there, has ethnicity from that respective country. And they're going to want to be represented on this 23-man roster. And how do you do it? And the question is, how do you do it? Because it's going to be you're going to want player. People are going to want players from Spain and Portugal and France and England and Argentina and Brazil and Colombia and you're and the list goes on and on and on. And there's going to be people who are going to be left out 
and there's going to be cultures that are going to that that may be turned off initially because they didn't get my guy they didn't have my guy on the roster you know um so it's going to be interesting to see how that gets sorted out how that get and how that gets handled but i'll tell you what if you sign a ronaldo as an example and i hate to keep using that as an example but if you sign a ronaldo if you sign the Kylian Mbappe, if you sign a Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, if you are able to get a Romelu Lukaku, if you are able to get uh, a Harry Kane, I'm not saying he's leaving Spurs. If you get any of these <laughs> top caliber guys, because remember we're talking about two years in the future, so guys are getting older. If you get any of these guys, forget about that problem. Forget about the culture issue. Forget about the people wanting, right? Because everybody will revolve around that guy. That person will be everybody's, you know everybody's adopted son uh which will be very fun to see because you, you will probably be automatically the most prominent sports figure in south florida just passing by and large lebron Dwayne wade dan marino you know craig council uh you know pavel Finkel, sasha barkov john van, uh john van beesbrook they're all going to be in the shadows of whoever the signing is uh so that's uh, pretty interesting there um, do you agree? Uh, yeah, and before we get a bunch of hate mail, like we're we're not pinning every fan down as this, but we're just kind of saying the majority of the people, you know, kind of the the interested public. So before, yeah, get a bunch before of angry you flood tweets, it, yeah, 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 no, we, we just yeah, mean in yeah, general, because yeah. we see in the Miami FC days, and we see you know how people wanted people from certain nationalities represented, you know, within players. And I've been clamoring for Miami FC to sign Sunni Saad, probably the only Lebanese international uh, playing professional soccer in North America, uh, you know, to come on the roster, and then they didn't do it. Fine, whatever. But you know, he's lining it up in Kansas City, so maybe MLS Miami takes a a good thing there, which means I'll need to take a break from the press box every now and then to fly a Lebanese flag behind the goal of MLS Miami games. But that's it. Drew, it's a pleasure. Tell the people where to find you. Woo! Um, at its houseman, LOL, on Twitter. Uh, it's been great to be back, and hopefully we can pump out a couple more podcasts and whatever sort of off-season we see. Yeah, absolutely. As the news comes in, hopefully some MLS Miami news soon. We'll get that pumped out for you guys right away and articles on the website. Remember, you can find all of us at magiccitysoccer.co or magiccity.soccer. Matthew Bunch, who is still on loan at the Killers concert, you can find him on Twitter at Matthew S. Bunch. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at Mobile11. Uh, and of course, you can find all our work together, as mentioned, at Magic City Soccer. So that being said, because we don't know the status of Miami FC... We're just going to leave it here. Stay tuned because a lot of news is coming from Miami and it's going to come quickly. So go Miami soccer. Somebody told me that you had a boyfriend that looks like a girlfriend. That I had in February of last year. <laughs>